Welcome to Daughters of Lorraine, a podcast from your friendly neighborhood Black feminists, exploring the legacies, present, and futures of Black theater. We are your hosts, Leticia Ridley and Jordan Ely. On this podcast, which is produced for HowlRound Theater Commons, a free and open platform for theater makers worldwide, we discuss Black theater history, conduct interviews with local and national Black theater artists, scholars, and practitioners, and discuss plays by Black playwrights that have our minds buzzing. Born June 30, 1929, in Chicago, Illinois, Mickey Grant drastically changed the scope of musical theater. Learning music through bass lessons and eventually picking up piano, Grant moved to Los Angeles with her cousin, Jenny Legon, to pursue acting upon finishing high school. In Los Angeles, Grant found modest success in theater and eventually moved to New York to attend Lehman College. It was there that she began what would become a hugely successful collaboration with director Vanette Carroll. With Carroll, Grant composed the music for and starred in Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope in 1971. Beginning in DC, the musical found success and moved to Broadway, where Grant became the first Black woman to compose a musical for Broadway, the first Black woman to be nominated for a Tony for Best Original Score, and the first Black woman to win the Grammy for Music and Lyrics for a Broadway musical. Grant will go on to be nominated for two more Tonys and have a long and storied career in theater. Despite her commercial and critical success, we have found that Grant's work remains on the margins of Black musical theater history. So on today's episode, we focus on Mickey Grant's life, legacy, and work. All right, welcome back to Daughters of Lorraine. Um, I'm Jordan. And I am Leticia, and we are back on these mics as promised two episodes back or three episodes back to back. Today is a really every episode is exciting for me, but today's episode is super, super exciting for me because we are diving in and talking about the amazing and illustrious and just trailblazing luminary cultural luminary Mickey Grant definitely uh you know black theater legend passed away was it this past year or the year prior Um, I believe it was August 2021 so it's almost been about a year which is so wild to think about when we were discussing our season we discussed you know wanting to sort of honor some of the Black women, specifically theater makers that had passed over COVID that we wanted to get a chance to honor. So we had like Inazaki Shange, which it wasn't during COVID, um, but we wanted to make sure that we honor her. We are following up with Mickey Grant and we have a few more uh, folks that we're going to pay homage to, specifically Black women in theater. Um, So it's, it's really an honor to be here and to discuss her legacy and her life's work. Absolutely. So before we sort of get into all the nitty gritty. Leticia, when did you first encounter Mickey Grant's work? Man, I feel like a bad Black theater person because (laughs) the first time I 
encountered her work was probably in graduate school. And quite frankly, Jordan, I think you introduced me to her um, when you were doing some of your thesis work that, you know, didn't necessarily directly focus on her, but you were trying to create a genealogy of, of Black women theater creators. Um, and you mentioned to her to me and you were like, have you heard of this this musical, Don't Bother Me, Can't Cope? It was nominated for a Tony, Mickey Graham for that Carol. And I was like, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Um, so you actually introduced me to Mickey Graham. I'm not shocked because, you know, even in doing research for this particular episode, we found that it was actually quite difficult. There's actually not a lot written about her and her work. Um, so how did how did you come to Mickey Grant as you know someone where there's not a lot of scholarship necessarily? Yeah. So um, also graduate school, um, I was taking a historiography class, and um, you know, like you said, I was working on my thesis at the time. I was focusing on. Um, uh, Kirsten Childs's work um, and her musical, The Bubbly Black Girl Sheds Her Chameleon Skin. Um, and I remember reading this article by Harry Elam, um, where he talks about Lorraine Hansberry and Susan Laurie Parks and sort of thinks about how Black women are thinking about history and, and, and creates a dialogue between those two uh, playwrights, specifically The Drinking Gourd by Lorraine Hansberry, her um published screenplay and then Susan Laurie Parks I believe it was Venus um and I might be misspeaking so charge it to my head not my heart and I remember reading that article and feeling very inspired to to think about Kirsten Childs's musical beyond like uh the text itself but to put it in conversation with other works but I realized <laughs> when I was doing that that I could not think like right off the top of my head of another musical created by a black woman and um a colleague of mine actually was like have you heard of Mickey Grant and I was like I have not heard of Mickey Grant before and as soon as she said that I put her name into Google and the wheels started turning. And actually, Leticia, so I might not have known Mickey Grant, but I actually do know her work. So when I, I went to a performing arts high school in Atlanta, and, and every single year we had a Black History Month program, you know. And within that, uh, one of the years that I was um, at my high school, I believe that it was my freshman year, they did kind of like a cabaret style, review style Black History Month show. And the song They Keep Coming was within that show. For those of you who are not familiar, They Keep Coming is one of the songs in Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. And um, it just has this like very like militant beat, like do, 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 do. They keep coming. They keep coming. They keep coming, coming, come. And it's like, paying homage to like these big historical figures and leaders and light bulb moment um, when I was listening to it, I was like, oh my goodness. So I may not have known um, specifically the name Mickey Grant, but I absolutely have encountered her work uh, uh, prior to this. So, but that's how I I came to, to know uh, Mickey Grant's work. And it just has become a, a huge obsession for me as someone who's studying Black women created musicals. Yeah. And I think what's also really interesting about Mickey Grant is like probably a lot of black theater, <laughs> black theater, you know, creators is, you know, you start out as an actor and then you realize, wait, there's some mm -hmm. other things 
do um so but you know even though she was known for you know her composition and being a librettist she also had a very successful acting career wasn't she the first black woman character to have like a storyline on soap opera (laughs) yes for a long time as well right and she was also in had a Broadway debut as an actor in Tambourines to Glory, which was a short gospel singing play that was written by none other than Langston Hughes. Like, so she was, she was working alongside, you know, luminary black figures of these times. Right. So like, I think sometimes, you know, putting, we're putting Mickey Grant in in context, we think of her working along someone like Langston Hughes. And before we even started the episode, you were like, did you know, that Mickey Grant and Lorraine Hansberry went to the same high school. And I was like, what? Like, get me to that high school immediately, immediately. Um, And actually, I want to correct myself. It was not Days of Our Lives. It was, um, she played on Guiding Light and All My Children. Um, But the, the one that really made her solidified as like the first black person to have like a long contract in a soap opera was um another world which was on nbc shout out to all of the grandmothers that be watching their stories because i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure my grandma um definitely saw uh, mickey grant on, on her on her tv screen but anyways um yes yeah, so back to what you were saying about um Mickey Grant's career in sort of musical theater so should we sort of dive in and talk a little bit about Don't Bother Me I Can't Cope the musical that I would say like launched her kind of musical theater career in terms of of composing and and writing and and acting yeah let's do it Don't Bother Me I Can't Cope this particular musical and it's so funny because like I'm looking I have a poster (laughs) of that of that musical like right on my wall so I'm just like uh yes don't bother me I can't cope um it is a collaboration between Mickey Grant and Bennett Carroll um this particular show uh it came to be because you know they were working together in New York um Bennett Carroll had her um theater collective the Urban Arts Corps which was founded in order to support uh Black and Latine youth in New York and so her and Mickey Grant began their collaboration and you know I remember you know hearing an interview with Mickey Grant where she was talking about this music no one thought it could be a musical, but like Vinette Carroll did and was like, we should hearing this, these songs that he Grant had composed. It's like, let's make this into a, a, a actual musical and not actual musical, but you know what I mean? And let's make this into a, a production that, that will, we will retool. The very first production started in the, the company's theater in Manhattan, um, but it eventually found a home here well, here for me <laughs> in Washington, D.C. Um, at the Ford's Theater, um, where it, it gains like co- commercial and critical success there. Yeah. And I think it's often considered a musical review, right, um, which is mm-hmm. a bit different, it's, you know, language, theater language. Mm-hmm. Can you describe what makes it a musical review? Because, you know, I'm not necessarily well versed in the world of musical theater all the way to sort of understand the sort of differences. <laughs> 
is it's a form of non-linear uh, storytelling when it comes to musical theater. So um, reviews are kind of a collection of songs that are um, thematically linked in many ways, um, but don't often have this kind of like traditional or conventional book in terms of like, there's a character that you're following and they have this kind of hero's journey or it's a boy meets girl or whatever it is, right? Uh, a review is is more so thinking about connecting aspects of a particular theme or, or a collection of stories, kind of vignettes, connecting them in that way rather than like, okay, here is the story of Leticia and her journey throughout her life, right? And in in terms of the review, the review has a really long um, history within Black musical theater. It is the form of theater that most Black musicals were created in. So you're looking at something like Shuffle Along. Um, you're looking at the, the the shows that are on uh, the the urban circuit or call or what people refer to as the Chitlin circuit, and really creating music that Black people are are connecting with through. Yeah, through that theme rather than sort of trying to place a narrative onto it. Um, it doesn't mean there are not characters. It doesn't mean that there's not a story. It just means that it's not so much about following a particular group of people or person, but rather um, thinking critically about thematic things. I will also say in your explanation, what really sort of came to the fore for me was a conversation I think we've been having a while on Daughters of Lorraine, which is about form, right? And specifically the form mm -hmm. of musical theater and its relationship to Black theater makers. And I think there's something really interesting about the mm -hmm. sort of longer legacy that you're identifying for us. That's a sort of broader conversation about what about Black theater and musical theater is, I don't want to say incompatible, but it it doesn't quite sort of fit in the way that we might think of it, right? So like form and 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 going with a nonlinear storyline and theme and themes, right, is something that feeds more the the these topics or you know the stories that want to be told within this particular form of musical theater. I don't know. It's just something that that I'm thinking about, and one of the reasons why I'm so excited about your work, really pushing us to think about if there is a black theater musical form, or um, is the musical form something else we just kind of throw away? I know specifically with Mickey Grant, you had a little Twitter <laughs> spat with someone over over Mickey Grant. It wasn't really no beef like that, but you know what I'm saying? Someone, <laughs> someone tried to yeah. correct you about it being a musical review. And that's why it quote, didn't count um, as was, what was it? Was it the first, the first show to have a black woman creative team or something like that? Or a, a women's. Um, yeah. Yeah. A shout out to that man. You, you started you started me on this path. So it's your fault. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, I remember there, there being a conversation where uh, a white theater journal journalist had tweeted about Waitress being the first team of women on Broadway to have a musical or like an all woman creative team, like let alone <laughs> even beyond looking back to Mickey Graham, Vanette Carroll, which is what I, I tweeted there have been a lot of women creative teams even since then. So like the tweet was just ahistorical in many fashion, like in many ways. But really I'm looking at the, I, I, I tweeted and saying like, you know, don't forget about Mickey Graham, Vanette Carroll, whose musical was in 1972. 
on Broadway. I didn't even say that they were the first. I just said there have been women creating musicals together already. Um, so like, don't count these people out. And I did, I was met with a response <laughs> of, well, it's not a, this doesn't really count as a, a true book because it didn't have a real book. Despite Mickey Grant being nominated for best book of a musical, um, he took it upon himself to, to say that. And that really did start me down the beaten path <laughs> that I am now about thinking about form and structure, because I did want to understand what counts in musical theater in terms of, of what makes a musical a musical. And I think mm-hmm. that looking at Mickey Grant's body of work, like Don't Bother Me, I Can't, Co- I Can't Cope, and other uh, works that she created really starts you down thinking about, okay, what is it that I'm looking for within a musical? And and also, Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope, I would say, you know, it doesn't get credited as such, but I feel like it really kind of took us down in the 70s, a, a path of decentralized musical theater. So I... Obviously, I need to do more research on this. So this is just me off the dome. But I'm looking at later musicals like A Chorus Line, like Hair, more ensemble-based musicals, right? And I feel like Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope, being at the top of the decade, really was part of that trailblazing way to, to rethink musical theater. Yeah, so just to give our listeners some more context about Don't Bother Me, Can't I Can't Cope, uh, it's often described as a mixture of gospel, jazz, funk, soul, calypso, even some soft rock in there. And some of the themes that come through the music is tenements, slumlords, uh, student protests, mm-hmm. black power, feminism. Um, mm-hmm. And Clive Barnes, in the review of the opening production, describes it as, quote, a mixture of a black party and a revival meeting. It is the unexpected that is the most delightful. Last night at the Playhouse Theater, a new musical came clap, <laughs> clapping, stomping, and stamping in. It is fresh, fun, and Black. Black heroes such as Flip Wilson and Godfrey Cambridge and even Bella Azug and Ralph Nader are mentioned. And the show makes wry mockery of the changing times and celebrates the rise of Black aspiration and achievements. The show is full of talent working together with cohesion rarely encountered outside the dance world, end quote, right? So mm-hmm. Don't Bother Me Can't Cope was highly successful in that it was getting good reviews. It was nominated, like you mentioned at the top of the episode, for Best Musical, Best Original Score, Best Book, Best Direction. Uh, it won a Grammy for Best Musical Theater Album. Like you said, Mickey Grant, the first female composer to win in this category, right? So it's a very highly successful musical, but it's not done often. 2016, mm-hmm. we see uh, a concert performance, the Encores Off-Center series at New York City Center, directed by Savion Glover. But it's not done often, even though... It had so much success. And I think there is still an audience for the work of Mickey Grant. Absolutely. I mean, you know, in the Encores production, which uh, I hate that I didn't get to see, <laughs> that that production really, um, I, I, sh- I, I heard a lot of people talking about it. 
Um, but you know, they updated it with, with conversation, like sort of current cultural conversations, things like black lives matter, um, et cetera. And the ongoing relevance of those topics and like the structure of the musical being such a, a malleable form, right. Of the review where, where you can infuse it with like, it can change. It's so it's, it's not locked in. And I think that that's part of what makes it so black, you know, as Clive Barnes said in his review, (laughs) I think that's what makes it so black is that there's not, it's not fixed, right. That there's a, there is a, um, an elasticity to it's to the way that that musical can move. And also it had to tour, right? So it I mean, I know that a lot of musicals tour, but musical theater touring is, is a bit different, right? So they're like in residence in particular places for a particular amount of time, but the, um, but don't bother me. I can't cope. Had to go to a bunch of different places. It was in Washington, DC, it was in Philly. And then it went to New York. And the reasoning, I, I, I would assume that the reasoning behind a lot of its form and structure is for that need to travel, right? And to be constantly on the move and being able to um, really point that out. I also want to want to say, too, that the choreographer for the original Broadway production is none other than George Faison, who would go on to be the choreographer for The Wiz, right? So don't bother me, I can't cope was really, uh, it was a really bit, it was groundbreaking, truly. And, you know, it's a shame that it doesn't get um, talked about or, or produced as much. I believe uh, the St. Louis Black Rep um, company did it a couple of seasons ago. It's something I would love to see done more because I think that it, I think that it still holds, um, relevance for for the conversations we're still having definitely so i would recommend any listeners the entire album is on youtube go Mm -hmm. take a listen to it musically it's really interesting rich yes rich great word rich very rich Mm. you mentioned they keep coming which was also like i that that song specifically struck me so I would I would highly I would highly highly recommend it that folks teach Mickey Grant. Let's shift now to her I would argue second most known musical. Your arms are too short to box with God, uh, a Broadway musical that's based off of the biblical book of Matthew. Mickey Grant teams up with Alex Bradford for music and lyrics, and then we have Vanette Carroll writing the book and also directing right debuts in 1976 at the Lyceum Theater in New York City and later on moves to Eugene O'Neill Theater 1977 closes on 1978 after 429 performances there is a revival fairly quickly three years later after it or sorry two years later after it closes in 1980 and we get the debut star of none other than Jennifer Holiday herself. Your arms are too sh- short to box with God. What is its mm. relevance within the sort of theatrical body of work that Mickey Grant gives us? Yeah, I think it's it's really consistent. I think with Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope in terms of the sonic style, it's kind of looser structure, right? So there's not a kind of we're still getting a review style, right? In terms of, of a collection of, of songs that are thematically linked rather than this one story. But I do want to point out that 
your arms too short to box your arms too short to box with God also starred none other than Al Green, who actually got a nominated for a Tony <laughs> for his his work on that production. And I believe he also uh, starred with uh, Patti LaBelle. Right. So imagine going to see that. I just I love that. Um, but yeah, I think that it, again, is is musically similar in that it has that gospel feel. Right. It is based on the book of Matthew it has that strong gospel, um, soulful, bluesy kind of of, of sonic feel. Um, and also the, the phrase comes from James Weldon Johnson's novel, The Autobiography of an Ex-Colored Man. And there's a, a phrase in there, young man, young man, your arm's too short to box with God. But Jesus spake in a parable and he said, a certain man had two sons. Jesus didn't give this man a name, but his name is God Almighty. And Jesus didn't call these sons by name, but every young man everywhere is one of these two sons. And so thinking about this particular musical is is that it it it's really bringing that that down home gospel feel onto Broadway, right? It's it's not you know, before then, that's not really something that you would see on a Broadway stage, right? This musical, I mean, later on, we get things like Jesus Christ Superstar and, you know, other musicals that are, are, are thinking about religion in a particular way. But, you know, this is is really kind of dealing with it head on. And I think that it's, um, yeah, it's a really fascinating piece that it's given um, us black gospel, right? It's given us mm-hmm. sort of like the mm-hmm. sort of sonic specificities of like black church and that we might see, you know, remnants of in something like The Wiz. But I, I it, it made me sort of think about what sort of correlations there may be or, or what sort of research possibilities are there for thinking about something like the black church and, you know, the Black church's own legacy of theater. Uh, <laughs> I, I, w- I was curious if there's a sort of longer legacy that we can sort of track with uh, Black musical theater that is rooted somewhat in the church. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think Mickey Grant really captures that within the music of it. This sort of call and response that is throughout the entire music, um, the ensembleness of it. I, I just think yeah. I, it just made me really think about, is there more to this relationship specifically with the black church and musical theater and what musical mm-hmm. theater perhaps borrows or takes from or pulls from that we can find remnants in in the black church? I, I don't know. That was just sort of a quick thought that I had when I was listening to the music. Yeah. And I think what you're pointing to specifically also is like the relationship between musical theater and popular music. The Black church has been shaping Black sound for a really long, really, really long time. Right. And and, you know, it, it, it seems pretty fitting that that would be no different from musical theater. Um and I, I remember just watching like uh, Mickey Grant's interview with Charlene Woodard on on uh, but from the Dramatist Guild, one highly recommend everyone watch that interview. I mean, re- like an absolute delight. I was looking through the comments of that video, and so many people were talking about, "Oh my gosh, I remember seeing this particular musical when I was in um, Chicago or Philly, or um, I was obsessed with the record. I'd play it out. I knew all the words, right?" And so I think that Mickey Grant was also a, a very successful, like. Uh, writer and co- composer for pop music, right? And so 
I think that you're getting that within your arms too short to box with God. And also I want to point out something too, is that, like I said earlier, we get musicals like Jesus Christ Superstar. We get like Godspell. We get Joseph and the Technicolor uh, uh, Dreamcoat, I believe that's what it is. And something that this musical did in 1977 is think about like Black people and people of color within this like religious context, right? It's not just this kind of whitewashed story or cast with entirely white actors with a token here and there, right? It is really kind of rethinking how we look at the book of Matthew, how we look at some a figure like Jesus and how we interrogate those particular biases when it comes to how people are represented within um, those religious organizations. And so I think that's really interesting. And I'm, I'm curious as to why this doesn't get, you know, some uh, revivals often like a Jesus Christ superstar or a God spell, right? When it's kind of having that really big project um, already and created by two black women. Sorry. Yeah. All black cast. Right. And I want to point out too, is that she uses a Greek chorus within that particular musical. Right. And, and, but like, you know, puts that, that, that Vinette Carroll signature onto it. And I think like just to her, Grant. her attention, Oh yeah, well, I'm saying Vanette Carroll writing the book, right? Oh, okay. okay. Um, and then, and then the collaborative efforts of Mickey Grant in the song and storytelling also kind of, it just, I really feel like I can't talk about them separately because maybe it's because I'm just in the throes of of this uh, dissertation research on them, but because their collaboration was so crucial to, um, I think that the success of of both of those musicals, anyways everyone should should uh, should check out that particular musical. No, I think you're right with their partnership, right? Like you see you see a sort of a Vanette Carroll and a Mickey Grant. You know, I think of you know some some of the other great duos that we sort of identify with it within musical theater and I, I definitely see mm. them see them as as also one of those duos. So I think that's really important to sort of solidify and we think about the Urban Arts Corps as something that is mm-hmm. really highly influ- influential. <laughs> in theater uh but you know let's shift to some of her other lesser known work right so we have something like Mm -hmm. phyllis the musical yes based on phyllis wheatley uh we have Mm -hmm. working the musical which you had a chance to be serve as a dramaturg on Uh, we did we have a musical based on george washington carver right so we Mm -hmm. have these other musicals that Mickey Grant worked on that we may not necessarily, or some of us may not necessarily even knew that she she worked on, right? Also interesting mm-hmm. that two of the figures are historical figures, right? So as we get something like at Hamilton and, and Assassins, right? This sort of play on historical figures, we have Mickey Grant already engaged in telling, you know, history through the musical theater theater form. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I did serve as a dramaturg on Unworking. And I really, really wanted to highlight that because actually I was working on it, um, unfortunately, when when the news of her passing um, was released to the public. And, you know, I really wanted to highlight that within that production to think about this Black, I would say Black feminist legacy that is within that musical. Um, because I... Whenever I talk about Mickey Grant's work, I I think about the impact, yes, of the musicals that she wrote, but 
One of the most impactful songs for me in working is Mickey Grant's song, uh, Clean and Women, where she's talking about the legacy of Black women being domestic workers and and laborers and and housekeepers and and things like that. And the lyrics to that that song, um, and I really encourage you all to go listen to and and read those lyrics, where she's talking about, you know, I want to sleep till noon. I, I don't, I don't want to be pushing another broom and I have this beautiful, smart daughter and, you know, she'll never have to, to push anyone's broom. She's going to be singing her own tune and that day can't come too soon. I mean, I'm butchering the lyrics, but I, I really, I, I, I lift up that song because it has that very signature, what I what I am starting to see as a signature of Mickey Grant's kind of um, bouncy piano. I don't know. I'm not a music theorist, so I can't like describe it in, in the, uh, those theoretical terms. Like it's a very bouncy like piano and it has these beautiful and heartbreaking lyrics, but there's, there also is like a lot of joy behind um behind behind the actual composition of how it sounds and so um I'm just always interested in in her in her artistry in that way and and the the discord um and I would I would say a very very intentional discord but a discord nonetheless um and this is just something I want to continue to to probe when I'm I'm looking at her work but I just wanted to uplift that particular song because it it really, really impacts me whenever I listen to it, which is often. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I also think of, uh, you know, when I was, when we were doing research for this, we we briefly came upon her musical Phyllis. And unfortunately, we Mm -hmm. weren't able to find any, you know, remnants of the song, but apparently it was a huge hit hit off Broadway, um, Mm -hmm. 1986. And it was, the plan was for it to go to open on Broadway, but uh, in an American theater magazine interview, Mickey Grant talks about how uh, having a white director attached to the project who didn't know who Phyllis Wheatley was destroyed the project. Um, and she mm. she says, and I quote, it was the worst thing that ever happened to me in my life. I can't even talk about it, but I have to write about it. I want everyone to know about it before I die. I want it publicized and in a book, how they destroyed this wonderful show. I want it known. I still want the play done. Everyone should know about Phyllis Wheatley. She was the first published Black poet, end quote. And Mm -hmm. I think it was, you know, there's a lot in that interview, but specifically on this particular show that I was not even aware of (laughs) that Phyllis Wheatley had a musical written about her um, was a sort of, I think, larger conversation that we in theater are having about you know who can direct what and you know I'm not someone who's like well if you don't have every identitary marker you can't do it but I do think there is something mm-hmm. to say about who can be stewards of a work right um if you don't know who mm-hmm. Phyllis Wheatley is then why are you right or why are you directing a musical off Phyllis Wheatley and and, and so often I have seen specifically shows that are not written by white composers, librettists, and book writers literally cast aside and destroyed because it doesn't have the right director attached to it. And and I'm always curious about, you know, when it happened to Mickey Grant, what Mm -hmm. we can say about what is, you know, the role of the director in a new musical theater 
production. You know, I know you I know you are a specialist in new play development, specifically a musical theater. Yeah, um, I am all I mean, I cannot tell you, Leticia, how shocked I I am about the lack of Black women directors like making it to Broadway, but just even at the regional level that we don't get Black women to to direct musicals. Truly, it is so wild to me that that is the case. I mean, you'll look at musicals that are written by Black women, that are composed by Black women, that have Black women on the creative team, that are starring Black women, and everything, like, it's like, okay, sure, they can, yes, Black women can be performers because who's singing better, better than a Black woman? Nobody. But then it's, okay, sure, they can be writers. They can write a book. Okay, sure, they can be composers. But it just feels like directing is like next level. I I, I would need to double check this because now I'm just talking. But it's like, I don't think that a Black woman has ever won a Tony for Best Directing. I know they've been nominated because Vinette Carroll has been nominated, but I don't believe that a Black woman's ever won a Tony for for directing um, on Broadway. And that is an absolute, absolute shame, an absolute shame. It, it, It continues to shock me, again, even at the regional level, that we don't get Black women to direct musicals. And and I don't know, I don't know why that it that feels like the 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 thing that is most gatekept from black women is particularly musical theater. And I just it's an it's an absolute travesty in my opinion, because there's so many talented black women directors out there, um, but they're just not given an opportunity to to do that work. Yeah, I, I agree I just with you. a whole diatribe. <laughs> no, I agree with you. And I think it 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 feeds directly into something else that I want us to talk about. And I know this is your research area and, you know, something you're really committed to sort of identifying uh, is Black women creators on Broadway, right? Like who, who do mm-hmm. we think of currently, right? That's making that, you know, lives in a, within a legacy of, of Mickey Grant, but are sort of up and coming, you know, writers, composers, librettists that are working in the form of musical theater. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, she is not, her work has not yet made it to Broadway and I say yet, um, but I I would be remiss if just not uplifting the work of Kirsten Childs, which is just phenomenal. I know that Mickey Grant was a huge inspiration to her to become a composer and librettist in her own right. And so Broadway producers, if you're listening to this podcast, get on it, please, (laughs) with Kirsten Child's musicals. Okay. But in terms of of Black women creators on Broadway, currently um, it's looking okay, right? When we look at the the landscape, and I say okay, which means it's just been better than it was, but it's still not great. Um, so looking at the Tony Awards this year, we have quite a few um, Black women nominees, not just on the performance side. Um, and I know that I, I had looked up a statistic a couple of years back. It's probably, number has probably shifted since then. But at the time, which I believe was in 2018 or 2019, um, one of those years, that thir- only 36 Black women had won Tonys and 33 of those were for performance, 
and the other three are for producing. <laughs> so there's that, right? Um, obviously, you know, I'd have to look at the updated statistics around that, but I'm sure they haven't drastically changed from that number, to be honest with you. And then when we look at the particular awards, like Best Book of a Musical and Best Original Score, again, something you said earlier about why aren't Black women able to be stewards of a work? Why have there only been six Black women in each of those categories um, to to be nominated for that? Um, And I wanted to, to... to name those black women. So for score, we have Anne Duquesne was the um was the second after Mickey Grant uh to be nominated. She was on the creative team for Bring in Noise, Bring in Defunk, um, which was, I believe, had a book by George C. Wolf and was also directed by him. Um, we have Brenda Russell, who was on the music team for The Color Purple. We have Yolanda Adams, who was on the create, who contributed some music to SpongeBob SquarePants musical. Um, and then most recently, the newest addition is Masi Asari, who is the co-lyricist on Paradise Square, which is currently running on Broadway. Um, and shout out to, to Masi. <laughs> we got to get you on yes. the podcast, Masi. <laughs> yes, if you're listening, <laughs> come join us. We want to know all the things. Um, and then for best book of a musical, we have Vinette Carroll, who was nominated for Your Arms Too Short to Box of God, along with Mickey Grant, who was also nominated for Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope uh, for, for a book. And then we have Don't, and then we have years later, I mean, 1977, and then 2020 or 2019, you have Dominique Morisot for Ain't Too Proud. And I can't do quick math, but that's a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lifetime um and then we have katori hall who was on the uh writing team for tina the musical and then most recently the two newest additions to that category were lynn nottage who wrote the book for mj the musical and christina anderson who is on the um who is one of the librettists for paradise square so nine nine black women or ten nine or ten black women right to be nominated in those particular categories. I just think that that is, um, that is so, so, so wild to think that black women have been shuttered out of whole categories <laughs> um, because people don't trust their words and their work to even be able to give them the opportunity to, uh, to get to that point. So yeah, it's a, it's a shame. It's a shame. It's something that definitely needs to change. You know, I always think back to, okay, we had the quote unquote racial reckoning within theater. Right. And as many close, many shows have, uh, you know, announced their closing dates, it will be interesting to see what shows, you know, uh, end up at these, at these Broadway houses Um, Mm -hmm. and the place for black women to write a book or score for an original new musical, right? Like even looking yes. at the book, right? Ain't Too Proud about the Temptations. Katori Hall, Tina mm-hmm. Turner, Lynn Nottage, MJ, MJ, right? These are all figures that actually live. So I, so I, I, I and we love it. Ain't, we've seen Ain't Too Proud mm-hmm. twice. Loved it. We're going to New York. Love both. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we give it up. We give it up. But I'm also curious about Black women creators' ability to create new musicals as Mickey, someone like Mickey Grant did for us. Um, So, yeah, I think, you know, 
we we celebrate Mickey Grant and what she gave us um, during her time here on Earth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, I'm excited about your work and your scholarship that's really going to illuminate even more of of the legacy. Like, you know, we were talking before we started recording and we were like, wow, it was actually really difficult to find Mm -hmm you know, articles about her, like critical articles about her work or even, you know, research ab- about her. And, you know, it's it's really a shame. It's really a shame that she hasn't been taken up more seriously in academic scholarship. Um, mm-hmm. And it takes something like, you know, uh, her death in order for, you know, her to get her New York Times op-ed and, and you know, and things like that. Um, but, you know, we, as always, we honor, we honor her, our ancestor, Mickey Grant Ashe. Um, Ashe. And, you know, we're, we're, we're happy uh, that we uh, still get to sort of encounter you in your lyrics and your music. Uh, yes. With that being said, Let's go to our reading list. What do we have for the good yes. folks today? I'm going to call this our reading and listening list because I'm going to be uplifting musicals. Um, obviously, we want you to engage Mickey Grant's work in in her uh, that's published. So um, we have Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. Please, please read it and listen to it. Um, and then we have Your Arms Too Short to Box with God by Bennett Carroll. Um, and uh, there are two other musicals by Black women that I think that um, you all should in- encounter and engage in your work. And that is Polk County by none other than Zorno Hurston um, and Bella, an American Tall Tale by Kirsten Childs. Both of those musicals also kind of follow the form and structure of the review that Mickey Grant um, was so, so so genius at, at crafting. Um, and then for some books, um, we have Sisters in the Struggle, an oral history of Black, of Black arts movement theater and performance by LaDonna Forsgren. Um, I believe that LaDonna um, interviews Mickey Grant in that book. That interview is absolutely fantastic, as well as the rest of the book. Um, so please read that. And then we have a couple of articles that are not necessarily focused on Mickey Grant, but are by Black women scholars who are engaging Black musical theater from this Black feminist perspective. Um, and one of those is by LaDonna Forsgren, and it's her article, The Wiz Redux, or Why Queer, Black Feminist Spectatorship and Politically Engaged Popular Entertainment Continue to Matter, and Vocal Color in Blue, Early 20th Century Black Women Singers as Broadway's Voice Teachers by Masi Asari. So please check out those articles and books and musicals and continue to engage the work of Black musical theater by Black people. Yes, definitely. And I just want to add to that. Wait for Jordan Ely's articles, (laughs) books, dissertation specifically focused on black women creators and composers so make sure you keep an eye out for that uh and that you engage with jordan's work uh not too much (laughs) yes too much yes too much not Uh, too much (laughs) so we are at time another episode of daughters of lorraine in the book jordan always a pleasure Yes, absolutely. It was it was great talking to you, Leticia, about someone that I could go on for uh, on about for literally hours. So it's it's a it's a wonder that we were able to keep it in this time frame. 
Yes, definitely. And we will see you all next week. Bye. This has been another episode of Daughters of the Rain. We're your hosts, Leticia Ridley. And Jordan Ely. On our next episode, we'll discuss reproductive freedom in Black theater. You definitely won't want to miss this episode. In the meantime, if you're looking to connect with us, please follow us on Twitter at D-O-Lorraine-Pod, P-O-D. You can also email us at daughtersoftherraine at gmail.com for further contact. The Daughters of Lorraine podcast is produced as a contribution to HowlRound Theater Commons. You can find more episodes of this series and other HowlRound podcasts in our feed on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find podcasts. Be sure to search HowlRound Theater Commons podcast and subscribe to receive new episodes. If you loved this podcast, post a rating and write a review on those platforms. This helps other people find us. You can also find a transcript for this episode, along with a lot of other progressive and disruptive content on HowAround.com. Have an idea for an exciting podcast, essay, or TV event the theater community needs to hear? Visit HowAround.com and submit your ideas to the comments.